Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Did you know that God puts you in spots where he expects you to fail? This perspective might sound harsher than it really is at first glance. But what if God could use your sins, your mistakes, your shortcomings, your weaknesses for your good and his glory? Have you ever considered how your disappointments and your discouragements could provide the backdrop for the Lord to demonstrate his power and his goodness through your inabilities and your missteps? It's true. God's strength coming through our weakness is just one of the many ways that he proves his love to us. Hello, everyone. I am Rick Thomas, and welcome to Life Over Coffee. I want to talk to you about a maybe a worldview-altering perspective on our inability, our weaknesses, even our sins. Can God use sin sinlessly? Can our mistakes, our, our inabilities, our weaknesses form the backdrop for God to magnify His glory, His strength, His wisdom? Well, we need not look any further than the cross of Christ. It was foolishness and it was weakness to everyone who was there that day. But what looked like a huge mistake was God's power and God's wisdom displayed. And we have been affected for over 2,000 years in some of the most glorious ways imaginable. That's why I want to talk to you about the necessity of us getting beyond our ability to where we can't rectify our problems, just like the disciples gathered around the cross that day. They were in a place that was beyond their ability to fix the situation, and it was right there in their inability is right where God wanted them because that's where his power and his wisdom was on display. So if you want to read what I'm about to share with you, you're welcome to go on our website. Our address is lifeovercoffee.com, and you can find the article, the podcast, the video, and it's titled, Beyond Your Ability is Right Where God Wants You. It is a fantastic uh, worldview to think about. And I want to begin by sharing 2 Corinthians 4, 7, a verse that is familiar to so many of you. It is a short sentence Paul is writing, and he says this, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Think about that just for a moment. The jars of clay is an echo back to Adam, red man, man of the earth. We are those jars of clay, fragile clay pots, and that is what God puts the treasure in. And when people look at those clay pots, they are not anything beautiful to look at. There is no power. There is no glory. There is no inability. But then they see that treasure in that jar of, of clay, and they realize all of a sudden that the power belongs to God and not to us. And so the Lord has to put us in places of fragility, places that we cannot 
rectify. We cannot extricate ourselves from. We are broken, fragile jars of clay. But that is when and that is how God uses his power as Paul is teaching in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, let me illustrate with my friend Mabel. Mabel used to be part of the disappointed and discouraged crowd. She was an overworked, overchallenged, overwhelmed single mom. She lived in a world where she never seemed to get on top of things. Initially, her tenacious grit compelled her to try harder, like Avis from the 1970s commercial, They Try Harder. And she bought into the culture's worldview of independence and self-reliance. She determined never to lose and never give up. It was win-win at all costs, no matter how difficult things became. Her mantra was, when things get tough, the tough get going. Her perspective worked well until, until her meltdowns outnumbered her victories. Finally, her boss called her in and gave her an ultimatum. No more outburst. And she freaked. Rather than seeking God, she gave herself over to fear and worry, which eventually turned into bitterness and compounded anxiety. And then depression came calling. Mabel's internal turmoil, her soul noise, what was going on inside of her, it seemed to be pushing her between a rock and a hard place to the point to where she even thought about suicide. She considered counseling in a last-ditch effort to pull herself out of her funk. After listening to her story of woe for nearly an hour, I said this to Mabel, and please don't practice this. Don't imitate this. You want to make sure that you have the relational bridge to the individual that you are talking to. You want to make sure that the truth you are going to truck over that bridge is fortified by a relationship that has been stabilized through time that you have spent together and a trust that she has for what you are about to say. But knowing that that relational bridge was built, it was stabilized, and there was trust in the relationship, I trucked some very difficult and challenging truth over to Mabel, and this is what I said. Mabel, God is calling you to do what you cannot do with the ability you do not have. She gave me a quizzical look, which I followed with this. He wants it this way. Mabel, what you're going through is the will of God for your life. God wants to bring you to a place to where you cannot fix yourself or your life. Because his desire is for you to rely on him. And then we looked at one of the most beautiful passages in all the scripture that teach this idea. And it is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, where Paul said this, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, beyond our ability. In fact, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Paul went on to say, 
Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul was wanting the Corinthians to know what was going on in Asia is that God was behind it all. The trouble that they were in, the suffering that they were going through provided the backdrop for God to demonstrate his power in their weakness as they were pushed beyond their strength to the degree that they even despaired of life. But Paul said all of this was God working in our lives and our hearts, teaching us not to rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. A suffering-sending God was mysteriously complex for Mabel to hear initially. She was embarrassed about not being able to do it all by herself. Everything that could go wrong was going wrong, and no matter how hard Mabel tried to keep it all together, it was unraveling even faster. Her response was to internalize her problems, never utter a word, and to redouble her efforts. We are going to double down and work harder. But her plan was not working. She could not keep up anymore. She was done. She had no husband. All of her friends were stay-at-home moms. Her kids wore hand-me-downs. She could not afford family vacations. Her car was a clunker. She had to pull the children out of private school, and her ex-husband was an every-other-weekend unholy terror. Sometimes life is meant to go wrong because it's the only way that God can get our attention. And he had Mabel's attention now. She was crying out for help, a plea for help out of a heart of genuine brokenness is the prayer that he was leading her to repeat back to him. Mabel had come to the place where we all should come to. It's a hard place to come to, but I trust that we can get there. And so she said the quiet part aloud, quote, I am not self-reliant. And that is the place that we should all come to. God never intended for us to win all the time. Sometimes God has to run us into a ditch to free us from ourselves. The self-sufficient person does not need God. If you can totally rely on yourself, we have no need for God, capital G-O-D, because we are God lowercase g-o-d, we are self-sufficient. And God will not permit that because he will only put that treasure in jars of clay. He will not put that treasure in gold-plated, diamond-studded boxes where you cannot tell the difference between the treasure inside and the container on the outside. It is a deceptive and tempting approach to life that does not work to believe that you can be self-reliant. Paul was right. He said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I add to that by saying, not through me who strengthens me. No, through him who strengthens me. To say that I can do all things through me who strengthens me is a worship disorder of the worst kind. 
It is not God's intention to let us do things our way according to our agenda while working within our personal gifting and well-honed skill set. It can never be win-win all the time for all people, with or without God. He is too merciful to allow this to happen to his fallen creation. He insists that we do things according to his will working within his strength while he receives glory for what he accomplishes through us. And that is how God works. The implication is clear. There will be times when God will accomplish things outside of our abilities, and we need to understand this. We are to work under his power and in his strength rather than our own. Now, part of this is because people are glory hogs. Isn't that true? That we love just a little bit of praise, just a pinch of adoration. Will somebody pat me on my back? We do desire to be like God. It kind of takes you back to Genesis 3, 5 with the lie of the devil. And that is the heart of our self-reliant Adamic fallenness problem. We want the praise. We want the glory. We want the adoration. We want to be like God. And this kind of self-centered thinking puts us in competition with God as well as in competition with others. We're all fighting to get to the top. We demand our way. God requires His way. And now we are in a tug of war. And guess who is going to win that tug of war? To help us get over ourselves... The Lord mercifully puts us in places or situations to where we cannot control, we cannot manipulate the outcome, which is exactly what happened to Mabel. And that's why I told her, her this appears to be the will of God in your life, that he has put you in a place that you cannot fix. And so she had two choices. She could stubbornly press on to her shame and other people's hurt, or she could relinquish her rights to her situation and trust God's way, even if it did not make sense initially. Let me give you a few examples of times when God's way is challenging to embrace. And so I want to share just a handful of one-line questions, and I'll put them in question form. And I would love for you to just briefly analyze yourself and ask this question, which is easier in each of these contexts that I'm going to present to you, which is easier to respond in your own strength or to humble yourself, accept the situation as it is, and then ask God to work his strength through you. Here's a few one-liners for you to analyze yourself. Number one, when it's time to forgive someone who has hurt you. Now, we want to respond in our strength. I mean, that would be my instinct. Let me put it that way and, and not you. That would be my impulse. And for some of you, it would be your impulse too. I was like this with my father. When it was time to forgive him, now I'm, not, I'm not talking about transactional forgiveness because he died in 1978 and there was no transaction that could happen because I became a Christian in 1984 and so we could not reconcile our relationship. But I could forgive him attitudinally in my heart, but I wanted to hold on to my anger. I wanted to hold on to my hate. I wanted to hold on to my revenge. That is working under my strength, not God's. 
But as I relinquish that to the Lord and learn how to trust him, asking him to give me his strength, his power, his wisdom working in me rather than mine, then I could come to the place of at least attitudinally forgiving my father, which released me from what he did to me. And so which is easier to respond, in your strength or God's strength? Example number one, when it's time to forgive someone, either attitudinally or transactionally, because they have hurt you. Number two, when it's time to regularly submit to and serve your spouse, Sometimes we want to be proud and and over the top and angry because we're frustrated with them when humility is saying, humility is ringing in our hearts, no, that is not the way. That is the way of death. That is your strength, your power, your wisdom, the way of God. His strength seems counterintuitive at this moment, but you need to rely on him who raises the dead. Illustration number three, when it's time to ask forgiveness first, kind of like what I was illustrating in my first point, when it's time to forgive someone who has hurt you. Number four, when it is time to share your inner struggles with your group of friends. My strength would say, don't be transparent. My strength would say, don't be vulnerable. My strength would say, don't be humble. God's strength would say, you need to lead in humility. You need to lead in transparency. You need to lead in vulnerability. One more, number five. When it's time to seek forgiveness from someone you believe that has a worse sin than yours, and as long as we maintain that elevated position that, thank God, I'm not like this person, then we are operating under our own strength, own wisdom, own power. God will say to accept his strength, which will lower us and help us to realize that in reality, we are no better than the other person, which will give us the ability, God's strength, to ask forgiveness from someone because we are not better than they are. Did you know God is regularly testing us by giving us opportunities to trust Him? And I just shared five of them with you. Typically, these moments happen when we, when we do not want to trust Him or we do not understand how to trust Him. But in either case, He is asking us to do what He may not be willing to do or, or what we may not be willing to do or we do not have the wisdom, insight, clarity, or knowledge to do. Let me give you an illustration. When the Lord came upon 5,000 people, not counting the women and, the chil- and children, who were hungry and needing food, it was not within the disciples' ability to feed them. They surveyed the scene and they realized they did not have the knowledge or the capability to fix this situation, which was the perfect situation for them to be in. Again, when we're in those places to where we can't fix our problems, that is the context where God's power can come raining through us. The text of Scripture goes like this. It's in Matthew 14, by the way, verses 16 through 19, and it says this. But Jesus said, quote, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. The disciples told Jesus, We, we have only five loaves and, and two fish. The disciples were conveying to him their inability and their weakness. We cannot do this. We're in a spot, and you're asking us to do what we do not have the ability to do, and this is exactly what I told Mabel. And Jesus said, 
bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and take the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. Notice the irony here. The disciples could not fix the problem, but God, God used them despite of them. And so he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the crowd so that they could eat. That is Matthew 14, a beautiful passage of Scripture. At that moment, the disciples were working outside of their collective strengths. At that moment... Jesus had them right where he wanted them. The perfect sweet spot with the Lord is when we have to trust him rather than ourselves. Or what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9, to teach us not to rely on ourselves, but to rely on him who raises the dead. God calls us to walk by faith, not our strength, our cleverness, or our insights. The disciples knew there was not enough bread. There was not enough fish to feed 5,000 people. And guess what? They were right. There wasn't from what they perceived. There was not enough provision to get the job done. And though they could not see past the bread in their baskets, Jesus could. But the story gets better. As I've already indicated, Christ made what the disciples could not make, and he used the disciples to distribute what he made. Jesus stepped up. Jesus created. The disciples were unable, and he allowed them to participate in his miracle. How kind of the Lord. He creates what we cannot, and he chooses to use us despite our complaining, our cynicism, and our negativity. Can you imagine lodging a complaint against, against the Lord? Because you have already assessed the situation, and you have already determined the job is too big, too hard, too complicated. Have you ever done that? Have you surveyed the scene and came to the conclusion that this problem is bigger, harder, more complicated? We can't get it done. Have you ever thought that maybe this is the perfect spot for us to be in? And then God chooses to use us to do the impossible as he does the impossible through us. There have been many instances in my life where I assess the situation and then I assess my abilities and then I and the resources to fix the situation and then I promptly concluded that the problems were too big and too complicated to repair. And then the Lord did the unexpected. He provided. He accomplished. But he did not stop there. Like the disciples in his day, he, he allowed me to be part of the process of helping those whom I was previously lodging my complaints. God wants a relationship with me, but, he cannot, it, but it cannot be what it needs to be until I am willing to trust him to do what I cannot do. I must genuinely come to the place that I was appealing to, to Mabel to come to and that is the end of myself. What about you? 
Are you in a situation where there is seemingly no good way out of the mess? I'm asking, are you stuck? Are you working beyond your strength? Are you working outside of your ability, hoping to repair your problems? Working outside of your ability is not a bad thing. Sometimes it's the only right thing. It happens to me virtually every day. I am confronted daily with people and situations that I cannot fix virtually every day of my life. I am working beyond my strength. I am working outside of my ability. And then I realize that changing people is outside the scope of my responsibilities. It is a pay grade well above mine. Not being able to fix people used to keep me awake at night at the beginning of my counseling career many years ago. I struggled mightily with all the people that I could not fix. And then I learned that if I could succeed in the people-fixing business, I would not need God. And that's when the Lord kindly reminded me that we have a Savior and you are not Him, Rick. He helped me to repent of my self-reliant thinking while turning to Him for solutions. Today, my job is so much simpler than fixing people. What do I do? I point people to Jesus. Like John the Baptist in John chapter 3, I am nothing more than a signpost. A signpost that you read that points people to Christ. I have taken up John's mantra. He said in 3.30, He must increase and I must decrease. When you come to a place that does not make sense or you cannot figure it out, may I suggest something? How about if you recalibrate your thinking around the gospel? There is nothing like the gospel narrative to bring clarity to our challenges. Imagine standing at the foot of Golgotha's hill on the day that they crucified the Savior. The disciples were the same friends who appealed to Christ to take over the Roman world. But there they stood, watching their friend die at the hands of the Romans. It seemed so wrong that he would die. It was all backward to them. Has your life ever seemed backward, going the wrong way? Has it ever seemed to be heading differently from what you expected? The disciples felt that way on that day as they were watching their friend die. Watching Christ die pushed them outside the bounds of human understanding, outside of the bounds of human strength. They wanted, they expected, they demanded a king. And they were confused, hopeless, angry, and in despair as they saw all their dreams dying on a cross. The most likely candidate to succeed was now bleeding and dying on a cruel cross. They were baffled. 
Peter had his sword drawn only a few hours earlier and was ready to carve up a victory for King Jesus. And now he was looking at King Jesus bleeding to death. That story is similar to yours. It's, it's similar to ours. God is always up to something. This is the similarity. God is always up to something better than what we are thinking. It appeared the Romans murdered the Savior. But in actuality, I mean, that is true in a sense, but in actuality, the Father executed His Son, as Isaiah 53, 10 says. You could look at it as the Romans killed Him, and this is what Peter said in Acts at his sermon. You have crucified Him, and that is true as secondary cause agents. But there is a greater narrative going on that we read in Isaiah 53.10. The father executed his son. Why? Because being a king 2,000 years ago was not nearly as good as being a king in eternity. Initially, the disciples did not perceive this change of plans. Can you look back on your life and thank the Lord that He did not give you the desires of your heart at the time when you were desiring something? I am glad that He did not provide the disciples with their wishes on that day. Unfortunately, we can be very uncomfortable not being in the know, not being able to see the entirety of the narrative. Before we step into the narrative, we do not like living by faith. We want to know the outcomes before we begin. We want to see if it will be okay before we move forward. We want to work within our abilities rather than within the Lord's strength, which is always outside of our abilities. We're really no different from the disciples. God is calling us to trust Him, to walk by faith. He will not give us all the answers that we desire. If He did lay out how it would come to pass, there, I think there is no question that we would eventually return to trusting ourselves again because we know how it's going to turn out. He is calling us to stop trusting ourselves. And nothing will bring clarity to this faith tension like the gospel story, Christ dying on the cross. That story needs to inform our thinking rather than our wits. And so whose story are you living? The story that you want to craft and control? Or this greater narrative that teaches us that God can do way more than we could ever think, imagine, or ask for? The disciples wanted to live for their story. But God had another narrative in mind. Even when you do not understand what God is doing in your life, it is, it is humble and it is wise to thank Him with expressions of gratitude for His leadership in your life. Your gratitude does not mean that your life is going to change a lot. Your gratitude does not mean that your life is going to change at all. Mabel's life did not change, but her thoughts about God did. And so she started to persistently preach the gospel narrative to herself. And as she did, she began to experience calmness in her soul. The noise began to amp down. Through her ordeal, 
Like the disciples, God brought her to an end of herself by putting her in a situation to where there was no other there was no other option but for her to fail. And even though she did not know what God was up to, she decided to trust him, albeit imperfectly. We will all trust God imperfectly, and I would not want anyone to to raise the bar to the point that they have to trust God perfectly because that is not possible. But her characterization was trusting God, even though episodically she did it imperfectly, but her trajectory was consistently trusting God. If God is holding back from you what you desire, I appeal to you to consider the possibility that He has something better for you. Though He may not give you what you want at this moment, whatever He has planned for you will be far better than you could ever imagine. The best way to begin this kind of reorientation of the mind is to express gratitude to Him for His sovereign care, His sovereign orchestration, his sovereign direction in your life. Giving thanks is the will of God for you and me. First Thessalonians 5.18. Begin right now. Make it your moment-by-moment habit. Perhaps a daily list of things that you are thankful for would be a good start. As you are doing this, my appeal would be for you to go back and grab this article from our website, lifeovercoffee.com. Throughout what I've been sharing with you, I've been asking questions of you. And I would love for you to go back through this article and pull out those questions. You can print it off. The title of the article is, Beyond Your Ability is Right Where God Wants You. And so you can find the article you can find the podcast, you can find the video, and I would love for you to answer the questions that I have been asking throughout. Let that be your homework assignment. Thank you so much. And the next time you find yourself in a place that you cannot extricate yourself from, perhaps an added assignment would be to memorize some of the verses that I've been sharing with you. Two of those would be 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show that the power belongs to God and not to us. We're fragile, broken clay pots. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. I do not want you to be unaware of the affliction that I'm going through. God is pushing me beyond my strength to teach me not to rely on myself, but to rely on Him who raises the dead. God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.